You're listening to So You Want to Be a Photographer with Gina Militia, one of Australia's leading portrait celebrity and lifestyle photographers. With over 25 years' experience in the industry, Gina is a pro photographer who regularly travels the world shooting for some of the country's top magazines and advertisers. She is author of four best-selling books on photography, runs workshops and mentors aspiring photographers all around the world. In conversation with journalist, interviewer and budding amateur photographer Valerie Koo, Gina reveals what it takes to build a successful photography business, provides a sneak peek into life behind the lens and talks about her tips and techniques to get the perfect shot. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 363 of So You Want to Be a Photographer. My name's Valerie Koo, and I'm usually here with Gina Militia. If you're a regular listener, you'll know that she's suffering from a little bit of laryngitis. She is almost back on track. In fact, I did just speak to her and she is sounding okay, but obviously not 100%. So Gina is keen to get back to 100% before she starts recording again, which I have no doubt will be very, very soon. This episode, we're bringing you then the best advice from Masters of Photography, part one. (laughs) We're going to hear from some of the fantastic photographers we've spoken to in the past, carefully curated, because these are the tips that have really resonated with us, and hopefully they're big aha moments for you as well. Now, even though Gina has lost her voice, she has been very busy behind the scenes and you've probably seen her on Facebook or if you're in the gold community, she's still busy helping people out in written form (laughs) with all of their questions and uh, advice and mentorship as well. As for me, I've been playing around with a lot of lighting this week, actually. Some of you will know that I share a maker's studio um, with some other creatives here in Sydney, and one of them is a ceramicist, and she was trying to figure out ways to take photos of her ceramics in an efficient and streamlined way that was going to show them off in the best light, so they were going to be well lit, but also not causing um, a, a lot of reflections that don't work because sometimes reflections are are great, but sometimes they really detract from the product. So I've been playing around with some lighting options for her and we've set up a great little set that can just stay in the studio. And it's an easy place that you can change the backdrop or textures or, or, you know, put fabric or material or other kinds of products that really set off the ceramics or highlight the ceramics or complement the ceramics. And um, the lights are set up uh, in an ideal way so that they are reflecting in just the right spots and not in the not in the wrong spots. And uh, it's working really well. So she's become really efficient with taking photos of her products when they're finished so that she can get them online and sell them. And it's working out quite well. I must say that... Um, All of this I learned from Gina, all of the lighting tips I thought, what would Gina do? And so it's really, it's worked out this week anyway for these products. 
So I also want to say a big hello that we've had an influx of some fantastic um, members in the gold community. And it's great to see all these new faces. I love the gold community. They have been so busy. They've been winning awards. Some have been scoring high paying advertising gigs. Some of them have been putting up their prices and booking more clients, which is great. Stepping out of their comfort zone in terms of not just relying on daylight, but actually using lights. Uh, every day there's a new and exciting win to celebrate. So that's great. Very, very excited about that. Now, if you want to find out a little bit more about the gold community, have a listen to this. This podcast is brought to you by the gold community. I'm passionate about helping the members of the gold community. They're wonderful photographers and I love seeing them progress in leaps and bounds. Here's what Vanessa MacGyver had to say. I needed education, but when I actually went into the gold community and had a look on your website, everything that's there, it's in bite-sized chunks and it's titled so that I can understand because I know what I need to learn. I don't need a whole bunch that I already know to be thrown at me first because I know the basics, but to understand a little bit more and see some behind-the-scenes setup shoots, which a lot of people don't share, and whereas you do, learn, 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 which is exactly what I needed, so it spoke to me at the time. And I've been absolutely blown away. <laughs> I would have thought that I'd ever be able to use guidance numbers to understand the math. I never understood flash from start to finish. My next uh, trial is to learn how to shoot tethered. Listen, if, if you're looking to increase your skills, because not everyone knows everything, you don't know how much effect you have on people, Gina. You're, you're amazing. And your warmth comes across as well. And that was also encouraging me to, to join. It's a supportive educational community. I could have just said all that three words, couldn't I? <laughs> And uh, I've been really grateful for that. Phenomenal. I wouldn't have done that two years ago. I'm sitting there going, if you'd like to find out more about the gold community, head to ginamilitia.com and click on Memberships. All right, so in this episode, we have the biggest aha moments from the Masters of Photography that we've interviewed over the last six years. These little nuggets are absolute gold from photographers who are the best in the world at what they do. So in this episode... You're going to hear from photographer and New York Times bestseller, Nick Boothman, who shares the best way for portrait photographers to connect with the people they photograph and get authentic reactions. He also shares the best smile tip ever. Now, I think this is so important because I've worked with many photographers who are technically brilliant. Everything's pin sharp. Everything's in focus. Everything is perfectly lit, but they just don't have that connection with people. So this is just as important, if not more important than the technical side of things. We also speak to Nat Geo photographer, Amy Vitali, who shares her advice on how to pitch a magazine editor. This advice is gold and many photographers miss out on gigs because they fail at pitching. You know, it's not enough to say, oh, here's a link to my Instagram or here's a link to my portfolio. It's so important to get it right. There's also documentary photographer Donato DiCamillo, who shares an incredible story about how he taught himself to use a camera while being in home confinement after his release from prison. At first, he photographed bugs, plants, or anything else within the 120 feet of his home. This is one of the most inspiring stories we've heard and proof that there are no excuses to learn a new skill and learn to shoot the images you've always dreamed of. Then there is wildlife photographer Scott Bourne, who shares the importance of shooting intuitively and not being hung up on lenses, plus an amazing hack to improve your way of telling stories. 
So first up, Nick Boothman, who is a photographer and speaker who specializes in the art of connecting with people. He's the author of the seminal book, How to Make People Like You in 90 Seconds or Less. Love it. The New York Times proclaimed, Boothman is Dale Carnegie for a rushed era. Now, in this clip with Nick, he shares the best way for portrait photographers to connect with people they photograph and get authentic reactions. And of course, that best smile tip. It's guaranteed to create a real smile that reaches the eyes. So here is Nick Boothman. We got this gift of your book that has obviously changed so many lives, mine included, like it, that changed the way that I approached a shoot after I read your book. And you said earlier that you did this talk where you spoke to photography students and you talked uh, five minutes about technique and 55 minutes about how to connect, right? Yeah. And, yeah, and yeah. like, I believe that. When I'm doing a shoot, and this is like this, I, I made this uh, discovery after I read your book that it's five percent technique and ninety-five percent, you know, getting that person, getting that connection, and that's what makes Absolutely. a great portrait. So this is your. Um, you're an expert in this field, so this is what I want to chat to you about. So. Um, You've, and you've obviously learnt this from in the thousands of people that you've worked with. So um, let's let's just talk about what what goes on when you meet people and uh, how important it is in that that first uh, initial meeting to to make a good impression. So what what is it that um, affects ha the kind of impression that you make when you meet a person? Well, you know, I got this uh, in my first book. I, I modelled it from experience and from people I'd seen. You know what? I modeled a lot of the excellence from hairstylists, um, makeup artists, and stylists. Wow. They, like a photographer, they go in, they meet strangers. I mean, hairdressers and makeup artists and stylists, they meet complete strangers, touch them, and do stuff with them. Yeah, it's you know, very intimate, goodbye. isn't it? It, it but is you very watch intimate. Yes. Of course it is. You watch a good stylist, you watch, and, and I coined the term, the term, they assume rapport with people. They talk to them like they're their long lost cousin or they have they saw them just yesterday. You watch a good hairstyle, it's a good makeup. Even in TV studios, the ones that work there, someone walks in, you sit down and they're off yapping about something, you know, with you and, and you're talking. They assume rapport. They also I also learned that it takes it's a good idea to synchronize your body language with them, which is perfectly natural, which is what we do with you know, when I say synchronized, you know, it, I mean, think about it like we become chameleons. If if you're talking to to a baby, we tend to lean over and go, oh, you know, that's a cute. Oh, isn't that nice? And that sort of stuff. That's just that's just assuming rapport with a child. Right. If we talk to an old granny, it's like, oh, old granny, come on, sit down. We'll get you a cup of tea. You, you modify your your attitude and your body language and your words to suit them. So that's all we do. We just assume rapport, just start talking to somebody, synchronize your body language. I always synchronize body language with models because I want them to do, if they ain't doing what I want them to do, I'll, I'll show them, I'll stand by the camera, like the biggest fairy in the world, but waving, moving my arms around, stretching my neck, yes, moving my head. I mean, what I'm doing is not very pretty. What they're doing is very pretty. Yes. You know, and very relaxed. And, you know, they feel immediately, because I don't take myself seriously, I, I, I'm not intimidating in any way, and not, certainly not consciously, and they very quickly realize that. So I just... But I did. I learned most of this from the the models and the head, the the hairdressers and the stylists. You know, they're working with different people every hour of every day. They're right. really cool to watch. 
let, let's break that down to, to see how that would look when you meet with people. And I love that you say that uh, synchronizing your body language and like the best way, I believe, to direct someone is to get in there and do it and show them. And that that is instant um, connection there because that they see you you know, trying and you've, you've matched their body language, I guess. So, and they'll sync well, with you. Yeah. It's in the, in working with the model. It's like looking in a mirror for them. Mm. I'm just, you know, if I stretch my head up and say, look, you know, because I'm, I'm very big in fashion. I'm very big on innuendo. You're right. I, I, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's all, it, for me, it all comes down more or less to the shoulders and the neck and the, and the tilt of the head. So I, I, I photograph, I, I ended up doing a lot of menswear, which drove me mad. Because uh, you know I don't, yes. I don't want to photograph men. I want to photograph women. Right. Um, because that because I, I you know I relate to them and I love them you know in the nicest possible way. Yeah. Um, but but so I would just do the stuff you know and I would feel it myself and they would feel it. I probably looked like a complete idiot so they felt more relaxed you know, and uh, and that's what I would do if I wanted them to. But but you know but then again really good models you don't have to do anything except encourage them a, a, around. To, yeah. to, to to doing it your way but you're still chipping uh, it, around and drawing out you know the the best totally. of them even and and sort of um I, I i noticed that um even models can go into uh autopilot and so sometimes you've got to slap out that, that they'll have their 20 regular poses that they do and sometimes you need to sort of you know oh. get that out of them and and uh get them off yeah. autopilot basically but on that point of um getting that uh, synchronization even when you're trying to get someone to smile you know uh, th just the smiling at someone they can't help but smile back right yeah but i i, I one things i've learned with 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 smiling i learned a long in fact in my speech on connecting i mean i what i tell people is that not all professional models have a great smile but they have a trick and the trick is they say the word great in English, yes. in bursts of three. Great, 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 great. So what I say is when I used to walk on, the model would come on the set and the hairdresser would go, great, great, great. The model would go, great, great, great. The stylist would go, great, great. Before you know it, they're all saying, great, great, great. And their eyes are smiling and everyone's up because it's a great word. Saying it in crazy voices. Yes. And so it's much easier. I mean, even, even I, did, I did for my best friend, I did a family portrait about six months ago. They had about 28 members of their family, grandchildren, kids, and it was in the garden. I got one shot at it on my cell phone. I had every single person. It was uncanny. Everyone was on camera. Everyone looked amazing. And they were, I had said to them, okay, when I say great, 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 you say great, great, great. They went, great, 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 great. And every single one of them, his eyes open, smiling eyes, mouth open on camera, just by saying, getting people to say great, great, great. It's and it really the best, works. It, it is. It's the best hack. And uh, just for the listeners, when, when you finish listening to this podcast, go and look at yourself in the mirror and uh, do, do the test. Uh, first, just go say cheese and look in the mirror and particularly notice your eyes and then do it again saying great and notice that you've got the smile but it's also connected in the eyes the eyes will will, will go up they'll crinkle in the white right way and there'll be someone home in the eyes and it puts a light in the eyes it's it's 
probably one of the greatest <laughs> hacks for getting a, a, a genuine, authentic smile out of someone. So I absolutely love that. Fantastic. It's, a, it's also a great word. One, one of the things which was quite funny, though, in, in the foreign editions of, my, of that book, that book's been translated into way more than 30 languages now. But, but some of them, because my publisher, well, that, the way you get foreign rights of a book is the publisher takes them to, normally to the Frankfurt Book Fair and publishers from all over the world come and they buy the rights. And I did try to tell them at the beginning, look, when it comes to, cause, and they take them away, they translate them. But yeah. I said, whatever you do, when it comes to great, 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 on the, put, say that's, you have to say it in English because it doesn't work in whatever language you've got. Right, and yeah. I, know the, I know the Portuguese version because I happen to speak Portuguese. I lived there for a long time. In Portugal, great means, is spelled it's like Optimo, O-P-T-I-M-O. Yeah. So they wrote, they wrote, they wrote it, say Optimo three times, Optimo, Optimo, Optimo. Optimo. <laughs> so, so it looks like you're about to throw up. So, so you have to say it in English and you have to do it in bursts of three. Now, Amy Vitali. If you're not familiar with Amy, wow, she has travelled to more than 100 countries, lived in mud huts and war zones, contracted malaria, was named by InStyle magazine as one of 50 badass women alongside Jane Goodall, Christiane Armanpour and Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I mean, it doesn't get much better than that. She's also been named Magazine Photographer of the Year in the International Photographer of the Year Prize, received countless awards, countless. There's just too many to, to mention. Um, is a five-time recipient of World Press Photos uh, and recently published a best-selling book, Panda Love, on the secret lives of pandas. Um, she's a contract photographer with National Geographic magazine. And here is her tip on how to pitch a magazine editor. You talk about the... Um uh, doing pitches for uh, certain magazines and pitching stories and there is a real art to that and I know that there was uh, the one major pitch that you did about the, uh, the, the, the extinction of the northern white rhino. You got knocked back several times. You did a pitch. You thought it was a great story. Um, can you talk about that a little bit and how you managed to turn that around and eventually convince these editors that this was a good idea because it's like you know we as photographers can see like I, I, I've seen the blank expressions when I'm trying to explain an, a, a, an idea to someone okay so we're going to do this 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 and this and you can see that like they don't get it where I can see it clearly in my head and that must be yes. frustrating because like it's yes. so obvious it's like he'll be there that person will be there can, can you just see this is a double page spread look at that and then this and this and this and they're like nah that we don't get it you know so how do you work around that and how do you present how what have you learned um in your years about like how to do a successful pitch and get that across the line so that people are going to go yeah go do it we love that idea we can see it Oh, that is such an excellent question because that is the most important, I think for all of us, this is the most important thing to remember. You just said it. The editors, the people we're pitching to cannot imagine what you're going to see, what you're going to document and bring back to them. So I'll just give kind of like three top things I, about writing pitches. The first thing is, be respectful of the people's time that you're pitching to. If you write a novel and send it to them, I promise you they will never even open it up. 
correct. Short and sweet yep. and to the point is going to get you so much farther. And so listen, if the grant or whatever it is that you're writing, or if it's a cold pitch says, you know, no more than 2000 words, you know what? You don't have to fill up the 2000 word thing. I mean, when I am cold pitching people, I just write a short paragraph. And even I think about the subject line in an email. Don't write like, you know, uh, some long, you know, conservations, best practices, like something that's <laughs> going to put you to sleep. You know, that is not the way to get somebody to open your email. Make it short and snappy, interesting, witty, quirky, whatever it may be. Make the title something that is going to make them first want to open up the email. Then the next thing is do not attach a bunch of pictures or proposals and 10 pages of documents. Write a paragraph telling them the highlights, like, is this interesting? And here are the questions you need to address. Why now? What's the urgency about this? And why should anyone else in the world care about it? Why does it matter? You know, so I think there's a lot of stories that might be a great little kind of portrait or local sort of story, but you have to also then ground it into a greater issue that impacts every human being on the planet. If you can do that, you can capture your editor's eye for a moment, then you have their attention. They'll usually write back and ask to see more. And be ready, have your pitch ready in a longer format, you know, then the next thing that you just mentioned when you talked about is you have to visualize it for them, like you're writing out what you're going to see. If you have pictures, that's even better. Just attach small thumbnails or have a link that goes to your website with a gallery on that specific story. But, you know, you need to be really professional, organized, and and definitely, I just can't emphasize more these few points. Shorter is better. better. Everybody is so overwhelmed. They're getting, you know, at least 100 pitches a day from people at the big magazines. Right. They can't even read through them. And then secondly, why now the urgency of this? And then thirdly, why should it matter to anybody other than you? Okay, now, as I mentioned before, Donato DiCamillo is, oh, he's just got a great story. He was born in Brooklyn in New York and, uh, you know, as a child he suffered behavioural problems with anger. He was then expelled from school at the age of 16 for violence and found himself in and out of institutions and jails. Ironically, Donato became very interested in photography while serving out a federal prison sentence in Virginia. And he was, he says he was always interested in magazines like National Geographic and Life. You know, he used to, when he was a child, he used to dream about being on adventures, exploring, traveling, fascinated by other cultures in different parts of the world. When he was released in 2012, Donato taught himself to use a camera while being in home confinement. So he photographed just stuff around the house. Uh, In this clip, he shares the inspiring story behind learning to shoot in manual mode while under house arrest. 
He has now been published in news, you know, publications all over the world, new, news broadcasts around the world, BBC, Washington Post, Huffington Post, um, was invited to uh, um, speak at the prestigious Hearst Magazine Annual Summit, which is huge. It's like a pinnacle of magazines. So here is Donato Di Camillo. When you come out and you're out of the federal prison and you're under house arrest, uh, just describe, uh, so you're in a, a, a small room, you're staying in a room. Do you have a job? Do you go to work and back? And um, I think it's I your family all um, pull, pulled their resources so that and they bought you a like a an entry level Canon, I think, with a macro lens. Is that right? You did your research. I've done my research, and um, so it's that it's that camera and that macro lens, and you're in a um, a small a small room. Or, or it's like a bed seat, I guess we would call it. That's when you started to actually physically train with 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 the tools, with the camera, and you started doing macro. And like this is fascinating because it's like I've got you know students and people emailing that say I don't have time to learn photography, or I can't get out into a city like New York, or I can't. I'm not near the beach. Um, but you you found beauty in a small room to, to photograph. Is that right? Oh, absolutely. You could find so you could find subject matter anywhere. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, yeah. it's just a matter of what of what you want to create. Yeah. And what it you know, how it how it resonates with with uh with what you know, uh what you're trying to, you know, uh you know, you know what I mean. How, yeah, how, yeah. how it falls into to what you're trying to create as far. Look, I didn't, I didn't think I would be photographing bugs, yeah. and I didn't think, I didn't think, I didn't know how interesting they were. It was just a, <laughs> it was, uh, it was amazing to see them up close through a macro lens, and and uh, there were some photographs that were strikingly, unbelievably beautiful, mm. and. You don't see these beautiful colors, although the bugs may be a little bit hard to look at. You see, for me, I was seeing the beauty in the in the bugs. Not, I wasn't seeing, you know, the creepy, the creepiness yeah. of of of, of uh, the creature. I was, I was seeing what how beautiful it was. So, so you th- that's where you learnt basically to shoot in manual mode you sort of using that time when you're uh in-house arrest photographing the, the bugs spider webs what, what were you like water on a windowsill whatever you could find textures and then are you uploading them to your computer having a look and then you know having another go to make it better and always were you challenging yourself was it all that that, that sort of discipline that you used to uh in that time to teach yourself how to shoot yeah, it was a manual mode all the way. Every yep. every 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 tutorial, uh, you know, was stressed. You must use manual mode yep. to you know, to learn the camera well. And and I did, and I and I learned how to how to how to uh, to shoot everything manual. It wasn't uh, you know, and I still do to the to today. Yep. You know, most 
people ask me, why do you, why, why don't you use, you know, TTL on your flash? And it, no. it's just about control. Yeah. It's just about controlling, you know, what, you know, my images and what, what I want to get out of, you know, my final product or whatever. All right. So I think we almost touched on it before with the the shot of the woman on the beach, but there was a moment, I think, when your parole officer says, do you want to, like, ask you about your photography and actually, like, said, do you want to go out and take photos? Is that right? And so that moment after – so three years house arrest before you go into the federal prison, then three years in federal prison – how long were you under house arrest before the, the, you were able to go out and shoot? And what did that feel like? That first moment that you get to shoot whatever you want. What what was that it, like? It was it was it was it was surreal. It was it was odd because I was I kind of felt uncomfortable carrying a camera around my neck. I felt this wasn't the person. You have to understand. <laughs> This this was completely. It was it was just very strange to see Donato Di Camillo walking around with a camera around his neck, and especially <laughs> at that point, I think I moved to, to a D two or whatever it was. Uh, I had a Rebel, I started with Rebel, and then I moved right up, and I bought <laughs> everything there is to buy. Right, and doing with. D two. I brought out my uh, Canon, you know, seventy to two hundred millimeter. Oh, you know, all right. You were serious. Did, did you just feel like, like, so you, you know, you had like this tiny room that you're photographing in, and suddenly, after all those images, all your life, all that research, suddenly it's like, okay, you're out in the world. Did you just was it overwhelming? Did you feel like some a kid in a lolly shop at, at, at like you know candy store? How was like it must be. My head would have exploded. I think I, I did. I felt. I felt. On one, in one sense, I felt really. Uh, I felt odd. I really got to tell you, I did feel odd going into my old neighborhood, and 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 I had this feeling that maybe somebody might see me. How am I going to explain this? What are they? Are they thinking that I'm working for the federal government? Uh, yeah. They, there's all kinds of questions that were popping into my head, and then I said, you know, hell with it. I'm just going to I'm just going to just do me and that's when another another I had a good a really a nice moment when I met this woman uh she was on a, a government uh food line and and uh I think I explained this in a, another uh segment yeah but anyway I'll explain it you know she she was arguing for a a bologna sandwich mm. for her kid an extra bologna sandwich and I was just so disappointed she was she was complaining she was she was confronting the gentleman that was handing out the you know for goodwill or what what have you she I mean I just found it crazy that they wouldn't give her an extra bologna sandwich and so I invited her to a diner I had no idea who she was she spoke Italian because I heard the Italian accent and and so I asked her, I approached her in a, and, and I asked her in Italian, I said, would you like for me to buy you a hamburger for your son? You, I hear, I overheard you talking about, you know, wanting an extra bologna sandwich for your kids. And so she agreed and we went to get some burgers. And long story short, I wound up in our apartment mm. and that's probably one of uh, 
that was the that was where I learned how how to kind of uh, I learned that not not I not literally learned, but I I, I learned that uh, talking to people and and uh, trying to find out who they were gave me a, a better a better um, let me say um, like a kind of uh, it gave me more of an opportunity to get inside of uh, to create a better photograph and, and yeah by connecting I'm, you're connecting with the people cool. you're making it a human moment not just um, yeah uh, stealing a shot like it could it would have been exactly. quite easy in that moment to go here's your hamburger give me a photo but there's right. no that we there's no real exchange there but to go back and she invites you back. And then there you are in the room. And then that that image that you took went on and won. Um, it was published in Nat Geo. Is that right? Yeah, for like a love snap uh, photo. Yeah. They do a series of uh, – and Nat Geo was my like, you know, it, hey, I love Nat Geo. It was it – was, and I thought I was like, oh, my God. Head what explode a, moment, I, hey? That would have been yeah, very cool. It, yeah, it was pretty cool. You know, I was only out a couple of – I mean, I would say days, you know. Now, Scott Bourne is a professional wildlife photographer, author and lecturer who specialises in birds. <laughs> he was one of the founders of This Week in Photo, founder of photofocus.com and has had a podcast, the Picture Methods podcast and blog um, as, as well. He's been involved in photography for more than four decades and his work has appeared in more than 200 publications, so I'm not even going to try and mention them. Uh, he's also a trainer on lynda.com and has spoken at heaps and heaps of conferences and was one of the first photographers ever to receive the designation Apple Certified Professional Trainer for Apple's Aperture. Here is Scott Bourne. It, it does become a rhythm, and I've found that with uh, photographing sport, you, a dance, anything that's moving fast, after a little while it's, it's, and it's hard to explain, but it almost, and I know with my portrait photography, I know when I've got the shot, I know when it's sharp and it's got nothing to do with the camera, it's intuitive, I feel it. Do you feel the same way with uh, your bird photography? It's it's really another one of those things that people don't want to hear because what they want me to say is if you buy this lens, you'll yeah. become famous. Yeah. I love but, how you put the radio voice on that too. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> this lens right here, ladies and gentlemen, this is the one you really want. Not that other one, this one. You'll be amazed at how great your photography comes out. You'll be in National Geographic. It, it doesn't work that way because if it did, I would go buy the same golf clubs that Tiger Woods used to yeah. win the Masters um, or that same piano that Mozart was able to play on. I would just buy that and be good. I think where it starts is knowing your subject. Let's say that you're uh, a baseball photographer. I don't know how popular baseball is in Australia. Maybe it's cricket or is that England? I'm uh, sorry. The majority I, of our listeners are actually U.S.-based, so okay. I think everyone's across baseball, but we have it here too. Okay, yeah. so if you're a baseball photographer and there's a guy on first, where do you point your lens? At second. Why? Because the shot everybody wants is the sweeping tag at second when the guy tries to steal. Right. If you put if you put the camera on the guy on first, you're going to be lagging behind the whole time. So knowing your subject matter is really key. Like I know when an eagle's sitting on a tree 
and he lifts his tail feathers and he defecates, he's fixing to fly. Because guess what? It turns out that flight is hard. You have to be very lightweight. Even right. your poo will stop you from getting airborne. So they lift their tail feathers. They fly. I start pressing on the shutter button. I'm going to sound like to... such an expert now. I'll be out in the wild. I'll go, oh, that, that bird's about to fly now because it's just, <laughs> just had a crap. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, it's, the, it's the special things I study. Bird poo. Uh, but that, but that's, it, it, that's something many of the uh, um, animal photographers that I've interviewed have all said, you know, understand um, the animal and that's 90% uh, of the work, you know, ears up or, or what does licking lips say and, and all of these things are going to make you a better photographer, just like understanding, uh, learning to read the room when you're photographing a portrait is going to make you a better portrait photographer. So, so it all makes perfect sense. If you really want to find out how tough this is, talk to people that photograph horses. Mm. Because the people that buy horse photographs are extraordinarily picky. And the ears have to be just like, just so perfect. I mean, it, 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 this stuff matters. These are the details. When you're around a pro like Tony Corbell, um, you know, someone who's a real artist, you'll see he poses the bride's fingers. He, he deals with everything. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm lucky to be friends with a lot of the best photographers in the world. My friend Jerry Guionis is one of the best wedding photographers in the world. And he's from Australia, by the way. We just interviewed his brother. Oh, yes, yeah. his brother's yeah. too. Anyway, um, I've been to Jerry's house. Uh, he's got more awards than I have chicken bones. He's, <laughs> he, he's uh, but I watch it. He'll just push, he'll push the pinky of the girl yeah. just a little bit to the left. He, you know, the guys that live and the gals that live in that space, these are the people doing the mastery work. And it has nothing to do with their f-stop. It has everything to do with their understanding of light and people and story and how to tell a story. I, I, I will share one little quick thing I teach called Ed Fat. This is something that uh, I, I learned from studying film school. It stands for entire details, focal length, angle, and time. Right. If you want to tell a story, think about shooting a motion picture. So watch a Kevin Costner Western. Kevin Costner makes great Western movies. Every single one of them starts with a big establishing shot, a big valley scene. You see the whole valley. You see the whole mountain range. He's, he's, this, is the, his, this is the E in Ed Fat, the entire. He's letting you know where this is taking place. Then he'll move right to detail. So the next shot might be a cowboy's spur in the boot, not the horse, not the whole cowboy, just the spur in the boot. That's the D in Ed Fat, the details, okay? F, fan, uh, focal length. He'll shoot it wide and then he'll shoot it long just so he has coverage of both. So he'll work it with a 17-millimeter lens and a 300-millimeter lens, okay? Angle, he'll shoot it from a, a, a cherry picker up high. He'll shoot it laying down on the ground. He'll shoot it straight on. So he has different coverage from different angles. So the backgrounds are different, so he has lots to choose from. Time, he'll use a fast shutter speed, a slow shutter speed. He'll do slow motion, fast motion. He'll freeze action, he'll blur action. So Ed Fat, entire details, focal length, angle, time. This is how I approach storytelling in photography, and I, I'm trying to compress four and a half decades of experience into five minutes. But if you can start to think about these things, and I, I hope that your audience is picking up on the fact that we're not spending much time talking about F-stops. No. We're talking about all this other stuff that really counts 
And it does disappoint some people because they do hope that it's just a matter of f-stops. What's the magic formula for getting that shot? I, I actually love that description that you just gave about the Kevin Costner. I can't for the life of me think of the I, I, um, a name of a Western that he did. I can name other like Field of Dreams and uh, what, what, what was the water one that he did? What, what's a Western? Can you name a Western that Kevin Costner Western? Um, actually, now that you said that, I can't say the name. <laughs> right. But does uh, that dance, apply to all his movies? Did he do it dances, in all? Dances dance with Wolves. Right. I, I'm going to now go um, and rewatch that with uh, keeping that in mind. Actually, I just love make a, that. Listen, I train people to do this. Watch a movie with a notepad and, and then actually create tables for Ed, Ed Fat, entire details, focal length, angle time, and start keeping track of with tick marks each shot. And you'll see how this actually builds out into an entire movie. That's brilliant. That's fantastic. I, I love that, Scott. I, I just oh, love oh, that description. Fantastic. Amazing. Um, all right, one more question. Um, I mean, I could go for four hours, but I, I realize you, you're, you're about to travel, so uh, I, I don't want to keep you too long. But if you could take one last image, one last bird image, what would it be? Mm. Well, you know, as a birder, we have birds we call nemesis birds. We have life birds, which are birds that are on our list. That means we've seen the bird. Then we have nemesis birds. And nemesis birds are birds we've never been able to see or photograph in my case. And in my case, it's a beautiful bird called a painted bunting. These birds hate me. If I'm in the vicinity, they will migrate away early. They will leave. They will abandon their young. They will abandon their nests. They will just give up because they don't want me to get a photograph of them. So just a nice, simple portrait of a painted bunting and I'd be good. You'd be happy with that? I would. Brilliant. Or a belted, or a belted king fesher. That's my other nemesis bird. Okay, I hope you enjoyed some of these great tips from our previous interviewees. We've now come to the end of this week's episode. Personally, I'm not going to be playing with too much lighting or too much photography or too much anything this week because I've been moving furniture around and I've pulled a muscle and I just need to take it easy. <laughs> so you'll probably see me online, on social media, um, but yes, I'm not going to be doing too much physical this week. So both Gina and I are in the wars a bit. No doubt we will be back to normal very soon. In the meantime, you can find Gina at ginamilitia.com and also Gina Militia on all social media. And you'll find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram and over at ValerieKoo.com. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Photographer. For more information, free resources, and Gina's regular newsletter on everything you need to know to become a successful photographer, visit ginamilitia.com.